I want to formally welcome everybody, both in person and online. It's good to have Recording our blended community here studying Torah on a Monday morning. We have a brand new Torah portion and a lot of exciting um, stuff to get into. So this is, uh, I mean, you cannot open a portion more dramatically than this one. I, I, I don't know, even if you tried, I don't think you could. It's the Torah portion this week is Vayishlach. Vayishlach is where Jacob, Yaakov, prepares to reunite with his brother after, well, I was going to say 20 years. It's more than 20 years because he studied, according to, the, according to our sages, he studied for 14 years in yeshiva before he went to Lavan. I know we don't talk about that that often, but like he studied in yeshiva before he went to, before he got married. He got to study Torah, right, before build a family and get, get ready for that. So we're talking about 34, at least 34 years that he was away from his brother. The last time he had seen his brother was when he stole, took the blessings. I was about to say stole, but like he massaged and somehow got the blessings um, instead of his brother. And his brother vowed to kill him. And now he's heading home. So what's that going to look like? So the Torah portion of Ayishlach opens up with what Yaakov does, what Jacob does, to get himself ready for this ultimate encounter. In the Chumash, it's on page 210, 211. So 210, 211. On the, on the computer, online, it's the online. But I also did a printout of the online so that we have both. For the in-person crew, we have you both things to navigate and to take a look at. The more, the merrier. The translations are pretty much the same. The Chumash that we have here has a little bit of commentary from Rashi mixed in but you will see what I'm talking about momentarily. Okay, here we go. Reading number one, Vayishlach begins with chapter 32 of Genesis. Verse four. Jacob, Yaakov. Said, oh, before we begin, I have, this is a Nachas report, right? From my own son, Nachas, I just wanna share this morning. I daven every morning, I, I, I say the Shachras prayers I do it at the school where my kids go to school up in Sandy Springs, which is a little bit north of where we are, about half an hour away. And this morning, my son Shalom, the bar mitzvah boy, he read the Torah portion, Vayishlach. He did the, because Mondays and Thursdays, you read the first little bit of the Torah portion. You take the first reading and divide it into three. So he, he read the Torah again this morning. So it's not his bar mitzvah Torah portion. He learned another little bit and he read it today. So. Just wanted to share that pride. Shalom, if one day you listen to this audio, <laughs> DPP number, you know, whatever, 225 or so, a little shout out for you. All right, let's continue. Uh, yeah, Jacob sent angels, sent angels ahead of him to his brother Esau, to his brother Esau, to the land of Seir, to the fields of Edom. I'm going to call it Edom. I know in English maybe you pronounce it Edom. But in Hebrew, it's Edom. So Yaakov sends angels. Now, in the Hebrew, I'm going to highlight it here in, online. It's easier that way. Um, malachim, the third word of the Torah portion of Yishach Yaakov, Malachim, Jacob sent Malachim. Malachim could be messengers. In other words, if, if you send a messenger, you can call a messenger, a messenger is Malachim, you can call it that. But Malachim literally also means angels. 
Rashi points out that when the Torah says Malachim, it doesn't mean messengers, human messengers. No, Malachim Mamish. He literally said messengers. Sorry, he literally said angels. This is the power that Yaakov has in the spiritual realms that he can start sending angels. He can summon and send angels to do his bidding. That's kind of a cool parlor trick or bar trick, right? Hey, watch me manifest an angel and send it on a mission. I mean, that's a cool power to have. Is there any other, I don't know, patriarch or any, anyone else in the Jewish history is able to do that too, or is that a power that he... You know, it's a great question. Do we find other instances of humans sending angels? You usually find God sends an angel, three angels came to Abraham, but God sent them, but a human being summoning and sending... I can't say it's the only place, but it's the only place I can think of right now. I don't want to rule anything out, but this is a very unique situation. But we know that Jacob in general had this kind of tight connection with angels. When he had a dream, we read about this last week, he, on his way out of Israel 34 years prior, he lay down to rest on the space of the Temple Mount, and he had a dream with the ladder, with the angels going up and down the ladder, and angels were escorting him out of the land and bring Israel and bringing him into the land of uh outside of Israel, and then there were angels that came and escorted him back into Israel, when now on his way back. So he, he had an entourage, it seems like. He was dabbling in angels, which is a very interesting topic that we probably don't talk about enough in Judaism. I don't think we have a lot of uh, angel talk. Although, um, I want to say two years ago, Mrs. Nomi Freeman did a course, Kabbalah of the Supernatural. Angels, demons, right? She did, she did a conversation about that. Um, I, I don't know exactly what she said. Were you there? Uh, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, she didn't talk about that. It was more about like describing the the world of like angels and the oh, the, what the world got it. That versus specifically like a hands-on how to summon and send out an angel. It would be good. I mean, I think we have Instacart, but I mean, like it would be convenient, you know, to not pay that upcharge and be like, hey, angel, I need some uh, I need some groceries. <laughs> Make it happen. Anyway, but these angels are sent to Asaph. Now, why angels? Why not just human beings? Well, we, could pro we can kind of come to this understanding of angels carrying with them a spiritual power and also a, a strength, right? I mean, imagine if you get an angel sent to you, you might be, if you're Asaph, you might be a little bit intimidated, right? Like, oh, my, my brother's sending angels. Like, all right, let me back off my... Uh, my intensity. Remember, he's dealing with Jacob. Yaakov is dealing with a brother who has vowed to kill him. So he's definitely taking all precautions and all using all of the angles available to him, including sending angels. By the way, I should tell you the Magad of Mizrich, the, uh, the second generation of Hasidic masters after the Baal Shem Tov, the Magad says that when Rashi says that Yaakov sent Malachim Mamish, which means translated as literal angels, not just messengers, but literal angels, the Magid says that Yaakov only sent the mamish, the tangible part of the angel, not the soul. Even angels have a body and a soul. Now, not the body that you and I have, physical body, but angels also have some sort of body. So Yaakov sends only the mamish, only the, which means, it means literal, but it also means tangible. The, tangi the more tangible part of, an of the angel, but not their spirit, the spirit he left with him. And this becomes also a kind of a template for our 
um, interactions with the world, in which we go into the world, we meet the loved ones, we meet the hostility, and the message is that our soul needs to remain with Yaakov, so to speak. Our soul needs to remain with God or needs to remain you know, in a holy space. It's only our lower selves that go into. So for example, classic mystical Hasidic teaching. There's a verse that says in Psalms, when you eat of the toil of your hands, Ashrecha, it's good for you. Ashrecha, praiseworthy are you. Vitovlach, and it's good for you. In other words, it's a good thing to eat of the toil of your hands. Now, simply that means it's good to earn, it's good to work hard and to earn and to eat. You know, you, 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 you appreciate more what you earned than what you got, perhaps, as a gift. Fine, that's a simple explanation. But comes along Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy and says, no, deeper. When is it good? When are you praiseworthy? When you're eating of the toil of your hands and not the toil of your head. Because even as we work, we should keep the head for higher things, for spiritual things. Now, it doesn't mean you can't think about your job. It doesn't, think, it doesn't mean you can't think about you know, how to do it right. So you certainly have to use your brain when you work. But what it means is, that our entirety of mind and consciousness should not be invested in the work. So I'll share a story. I feel like I shared this recently. Oh, it was that Shabbat when I was learning with my son and somebody else um, at home. Okay, so it wasn't in one of the classes. So basically, the story goes with, I want to say, the fifth, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, where there was a chassid that came to him for a meeting, a disciple that came for a meeting. And this fellow, this chassid, his job was he made galoshes. What, what are galoshes? You know what galoshes are? Galoshes are boots. French. Or are they French? Galosh. It's like a rain boot, right? It's like it would be spelled as galosh as well. Right. Galoshes. Galoshin in Yiddish. Galoshin. It's a plural. Right, so that's what he made. And he met with the Rebbe and he was discussing the business and the Rebbe said to him, a foot in galoshes and boots I've seen, but a head in galoshes that I've never seen before. And was, he was like commenting that it seems like you're a little too uh, preoccupied. I mean, if that should be the source of our happiness and sadness and dictating our moods, the work that... You get it's, it, You know, when is it a healthy model? When our, when, our, when our hands are devoted to the work, but not our heads. We have to keep our heads and our sanity in a, in, in a separate place. So this is also akin to what Yaakov does. He sends only the lower part of the angels to Esav on, the, on this mission into the big bad world out there. But the spirit of the angel he keeps with us. And the message for us is keep your spirit. Don't, 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 um, don't compromise. Don't compromise. How, lower, how does just the representation of the angel actually do so, the mission? Excellent. So, so that's excellent. The Rebbe discusses this at length. The Rebbe cites, remember, there's a verse, Rashi's clarification, the Maggot's insight, and the Rebbe's explanation of the Maggot's insight, and then me trying to convey it, transmit it to you. So we're talking about multiple generations of, of ideas here, and hopefully I'm doing an authentic job. The Rebbe asked that question. If you split the soul from the body of the angels, so then how is the body going to function without the soul? So the point is, of course the soul is there also. 
but the soul doesn't become too invested in it. The soul, and that's the same thing with work. Of course you need your brain when you work. You can't just be like a zombie, like, oh, like, that would be scary for everybody else, right? Obviously you gotta have your head also at the class, at, at the, at the class, at the, um, at the work, right? But the core essence, the core essence remains. But even as your head is there, it's not really there. Or it doesn't want to be there, at the very least. It knows that there's something higher than thus, than this experience. That's the idea. But thanks for, thanks for asking, because the Rebbe actually asked that question. He says, what is that? What is that? If they just sent the body of the soul, whatever that means, it, how could a soul exist without, how, how could, a, sorry, if you just sent the body without the soul, how could the body even exist without the soul of the angel? No, the soul also went, but it felt, it's kind of like, um, it's ri- honestly, it's what we're meant to be doing every morning when we dab and when we pray. We're meant to da- right, pray is a p- time of connection. And so then what happens? Then we go to work. Great. So then why do we pray? What, why do we bother? Like, what's the point? To plug in and then unplug? Huh? Yeah, to get strength. Well, but not, to get strength. But even when we work, we still have that connection. That's the point, right? Even when we work, we're still feeling plugged in on some level. So even as we work, we're not totally, I, I mean, we know when we're sunk in something and when we, we have a bit of perspective, right? It's kind of like when, when we're very you know, upset about something and we speak to someone else and they give us a bit of a, of a higher picture and, and they're, oh, you know, I didn't look at it that way, right? Because they're a little bit outside. And the point is that we can be that for us also, a little so, bit outside the frame. Like, so you unplug a bit after the prayers, but the pilot light is still on inside. Excellent. Excellent. Speaking of pilot lights, I'm going to speak about boiler rooms and tell you a funny story. I love this story. So, and you know what? It's a story that's not on topic. I mean, everything's on topic. Let's just clarify. Everything's topical, right? Everything is fair game. I'll tell you a story about 770. So by raise of hand, who's been to 770 Eastern Parkway? You've been? Right. Okay, we got to fix this. Right. Well, the spring. Do we May. Have we have. We have a date. We have a date. Hold on. What is it? I'm going to tell you the date. Hold on. Okay. Give me a second. Let me look up. It's a firm. It's a firm date. It's pretty firm. It's pretty firm. I got right. Sandrina's saying, "Who needs dates? It's open. 770 is never closed." Which you're right. Um, in case anyone is in New York, just just go. Why is all my text disappeared from me? By the way, literally, you can go 3 a.m. and it's there. Yeah, people are there. You, you, and you may find people putting together a minion for the, even, for the, nights, for the evening service at 3 a.m. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Okay, give me a second here. Let me find out. Let me find out the dates. I have it here in a chat. You sure? One second. Soul trip. No, it's not called soul trip. What is it called? Um, Shabbat in the Heights. Shabbat in the Heights. That's what it is. May 13th through 15th. When is it? May 13th through the 15th. Everybody is invited and obligated to join. I mean invited to join. It's a mandatory trip. May 13th to 15th. The way it works is we fly in on the... That's a Friday, right? Friday to Sunday. Flying on a Friday morning, beautiful time of year. It's May, it's not yet hot. It's, yeah, it's warm, it's beautiful. Spring, spring in Brooklyn, can't beat it. 
We fly in. You, we don't have to fly in together necessarily, but we could if we wanted to. You fly in. We have a Friday there. We, we hang out. We go around, grab some great Brooklyn food. Somebody there? Somebody there? Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. Thanks, man. So we fly in. And we, um, we hang out Friday. Then we have a whole program on, on Friday night. Friday night meal with top world-class speakers, then Shabbos day again, davening and inspiration, and fabranging, and then Saturday night a program with a banquet, and then Sunday morning a trip to the Ohel to, to visit the resting site of the Rebbe. And the whole weekend is packed with meeting, and then we fly back Sunday, afternoon, evening. That's the plan. Everyone's invited, and like I said, Say it again. Oh, yeah, for sure time for shopping. Yeah, shopping. You get the full New York experience. You get the shopping, the Judaica, the food, the people watching, the whole deal, the Brooklyn bagels. You get everything. Hit the ice cream shop or the sushi place or the bakery, whatever you're... Uh, and speakers, world-class speakers. I'm like the best of the best. So, and it's a conjunction with JLI, so you know that this, uh, that this is going to be good stuff. All right, yeah, save that date. Are you speaking? Are you speaking? I speak all the time. I will get. Well, let's. You want to hear someone else speak? <laughs> what do you want to? That's true. <laughs> you get, I'll speak before and after. You hear someone else. I mean, I don't. If they ask me, I don't mind speaking for everybody. But all right, good. Yeah. So, so let's jump back in. So, I wanted to just say something about yeah. the angels. Um, so you know, the Catholic religion, they do a lot of jewelry representing angels. Right. You know, with the wings and things. Right. And we don't. We don't. So I, I always thought it was like a Catholic thing, and I didn't think. I didn't realize that's an important part so, of our story. So it's interesting because basically um, the, the, the distinction is like this. So angels, absolutely Jewish, like the concept. There's a unique Jewish understanding of angels, again, which you know, is a, big, a bigger topic. But the depiction of angels would be running into the Ten Commandment prohibition about making images of the heavens. The same reason why we wouldn't make an image of the sun, moon, and stars, we wouldn't try to depict um, angels either. But I mean, celestial jewelry is okay, right? Like the moon. Ah, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I know Star of David. I guess that is a star, but I don't know if that's a. That's not. No, a that's it. Not. I'll tell you, it borders on the celestial jewelry. I, I, I'm not. This is not a definitive. This is just a. A discussion so don't don't take this as mm -hmm. Jewish law right now but it could be since that since historically these images have been worshipped and have been worshipped in their kind of um, like a miniature form of it depicted in in uh, in a sculpture or something so it might be something to talk about as far as shying away from that from a Jewish place that's I mean that's that's uh, I, mean, I understand but we, we like we believe in the constellations yeah, for sure. There's Kabbalistic astrology, for sure. Yeah. So the topic, the topic is valid. The question is, is it depicting it in a form? If that's already something that's not so, not so kosher. Anyway, but that's we'll we'll leave that for for an, for another discussion for a, with, with more of a comprehensive uh, conversation. Okay. Now, oh, I, so let me tell you about 770. Why did I bring it up? Right. Not not just to plug the, the weekend. There was once a very prominent visitor that came to visit the Rebbe in 770. That's the synagogue, 770 Eastern Parkway. The synagogue is known by the address, 770. And when you walk into the, to the synagogue, it's not the most, uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, um, 
What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's, how would you describe 770? It's not luxurious. No. It's basic. It's, yeah. it's like, it's... Uh, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Oh. So, so Sandrine put it very nicely. Right? I'm trying to... How do you describe it? It's, it hasn't changed in decades. Right? I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's simple. Functional. Functional. It's very utilitarian. It's, it's, not, a, it's not, not a nice space. It's not like, it's not like you know, disheveled. It's, it's, it's nice. But it's not like... Anyway, so this person knew about Chabad and the Rebbe and Chabad's reach worldwide, international. Eh? So he was expecting something a little bit more upscale. So he said to the Rebbe, like, you know, he, he mentioned it at some point. Yeah, you walk up the stairs, the stairs are worn out. I mean, it's like... Mark, jump in. Have you been to 770? I have. It's not, it's not the most luxurious looking place, right? It looks like a basic synagogue. All right, right, so, so basic function. Okay, good. It's massive, by the way. It's huge. It's, it's huge. Thousands of people can fit in there, but, okay. Now, so this person's expressed their, you know, they're not criticizing, but just expressing the surprise that the Rebbe says to him, you know, um, in every house, in every building, there's something called the boiler room. What's the boiler room? The boiler room is the room in the house where the boiler is. What's the boiler? It's what heats up, well, I guess it could either heat up the water or even, maybe not the boiler room, but like the, the place that heats up the entire house, right? The, the source of the heat for the entire house. It's called the, I think the rubber called the boiler room. So, the boiler it's was... The water, it's where the water is boiled, which is fed to the radiator. There you go. The there you go, right, right. So if it's water, right. So I have a heat, I have um, like blow, like hot air. All right. Right, so the heat, the heat, the water is heated to go to the radiators. Good, perfect. That's actually what we used to have in Pittsburgh growing up. We used to have those radiators with the heat. I remember we had like a like a marble or some sort of like stone cover to it. In the mornings, as kids, we would sit on it before we went to school to warm up on the way out of the door. Anyway, just memories. Thank you for jogging some memories, Mark. So, we have the same things. We have yeah. the same radiators. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Rebbe says, a boiler room, yeah? Is it decked out? So he asked this guy, you have a boiler room in your house? Yeah. He says, is it decked out with furnishings? And no. It's very simple, right? It's just a boiler room. He's like, okay, good. So 770 is the boiler room of the, of the world. This is where, right, chassidus and chassidim and shluchim, this is where everyone gets heated up and then spreads the message out. So does it have to have, like, the latest, you know, furniture and, 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 and uh, finishings? No, it's the boiler room. For the world, that was what the Rebbe said to somebody once. Why do I mention this? At this point, I have no idea. Um, I'm not sure why I mentioned this, but anyway, it's a story. All right, back to our Torah portion. And I believe we're one verse in, right? I believe we're one verse in, which means let's, uh, let's move on. Verse number, the second verse, which is actually verse number five in the Torah portion. So Jacob sends these angels, literal angels, to his brother and he told them the following. He commanded them, he instructed them to say to his brother the following. Say the following, so shall you say to my master, to Esau, to Esau, this is what your servant Yaakov said. I have been living, I have sojourned, been living with Lavan like a stranger, Rashi says, so there's no need to be jealous of me. Hey, I've been living, you know, I haven't been living, you think I took the blessings and like, you know, struck a rich? I've been living with, uh, with Uncle Laban. I've been hanging out at his place. It hasn't been easy these last several decades. All right? So he's like, I've been living there, and I've been delayed until now. I've tarried until now. 
Let's continue verse number six. I possess, I've acquired oxen, donkeys, flocks, servants, manservants, maidservants. Rashi points out, but Father's blessing for dew of the heavens and fatness of the earth has not yet been fulfilled. In other words, I have stuff, but don't worry in case you're, again, jealous of the blessing that I took that hasn't yet um, transpired, that hasn't yet um, become fulfilled. Let's continue. Uh, yes. Uh, Rashi has an interesting gematria. Yes. His, his Garti is 613. Im Lavan I have sojourned with Lavan. Garti is the same letter, same numerology, Taryag, which is 600, I just highlighted it in the Hebrew, on the, on the online version, um, 613 mitzvot. He was indicating to, to Esav that even with Lavan, even with Laban, he was still committed to his spiritual path. He has not changed. So he's not rich, he has a lot of stuff, but he's not yet, you know, he's not materialistic, he's still plugged in, uh, Jewishly, spiritually, etc. Good, excellent. Let's continue. And I have sent this message to tell this to my master, to let you know that I'm coming, and then in order to find favor in your eyes since I seek, since I seek peace with you. So this is a very long, well, it's not that long, but this is the message that Yaakov gives to the angels to tell Asaph. So there's a lot of characters in that message. What's the message essentially? This is from, so says Yaakov, I've, I've been with love in these past several decades. Um, I have a lot of stuff. And the blessings, though, haven't been fully fulfilled by me. I'm still keeping Torah and mitzvot. And I am looking for reconciliation. That's the message. Good. Now, that was the first camp of angels that went out. Verse 7, the angels returned to Yaakov, to Jacob, saying, they came back to report. All right. Well, we came to your brother, to Esau, but he is still behaving wicked. He's still behaving wicked like Esau was 30 years ago. He's still that guy, same guy. He's also heading towards you with 400 men. 400 men are with him. So they come back with not the report that Yaakov had wanted. Yaakov is nervous. He's about to encounter his brother after 34 years. His brother wanted to kill him. So he sends a message. How's it going? Love you, bro. Everything good? Great. I'd love to reconcile. The message comes back. Esav is Esav, has not changed his stripes, and he's coming towards you now with 400 guys. Okay, verse 8. Yaakov became very frightened. Yaakov was very worried that he might be killed. And he was distressed and he was pained that he might have to kill other people too, right? The last thing he wanted was a rumble because a rumble would mean one of two things. Either he's going to kill or get killed. Either one, he doesn't want. Does that make sense? <laughs> he doesn't want to have to kill his brother. He doesn't want to be killed by his brother or his family get, get harmed, God forbid. He doesn't want any of this. So what did he do? The Torah is about to tell us the three-pronged attack of Yaakov. Yaakov takes three steps of preparation, which is very, very helpful for us in understanding how we're supposed to deal with conflict. So here we go. The first thing that he does is he divided the people who were with him 
and the flocks and the cattle and the camels into two camps. The first thing he does is he divides everything, the people and the stuff, into two. Why? What's the point of dividing it? Very simple. He's a military, he's, he's doing a military strategy here or a defensive strategy. Verse number 9, page 213. He said, in other words, he reasoned, the reason why he split the camp into two is that if Esau, if Esau comes to one camp and strikes it down, then I will fight with him so that the remaining camp will survive, in other words, or escape. So the rationale is that Esau, Esau is going to be coming with 400 men with one approach. By him dividing his own camp, Yaakov dividing his own camp, so if they'll attack one, the other one will escape. If he attacks the other, that one will escape. So either way, he's dividing in order to, to stay alive. This is worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is full out war, at least half the family and possessions will survive. Let's continue preparation number two, verse 10. And it's very interesting, the first thing he does is what I would call pragmatic, strategic planning. He doesn't first turn to God and say, God, please help me. He does that now. First thing he does is on the ground, right? It's like the joke, I told it many times, I think I told it recently, about the guy in the flood and the, yeah, the guy, it's flooding and the news says, the news reports everyone should get out. Please come by, everyone should get out. No, I believe in God. Yeah, the flood waters rise. Uh, time to get out, rescue you. No, uh, he goes even higher. Boats come by to rescue him. No, I, I, I trust in God. Helicopters, no, and he eventually drowns. He says to God, How, I believed in you. How come I, I didn't survive? And God says, I sent you police. I sent you the news. I sent you the, the lifeboat. I sent you the helicopter. Bro, take care of yourself. You know, like, what do you want from me? I sent you all these things. So the point is like this. God gave us a brain. God gave us the ability to figure stuff out. And we're supposed to figure it out on the ground. Right? If there's a danger approaching, divide your camp. Or whatever specific strategy it would take. And, you know, your, your, your mileage may vary on, on what to do in, in any specific case. But step one is deal with the, deal with the issue and, and, and make it work. All right. Step number two is prayer. Verse number 10. And Yaakov said, O God of my father Avram, the God of my father Yitzchak, God who said to me, return to the land of your forefathers, to your birthplace, and I will bless you. God, you told me to go home. So God, the God of my father, my grandfather, God, the one who told me to go home. My merits have become small, he says. Or I have become small, really, my merits have become small due to all the acts of kindness and the true fulfillment of the promises that you have done for your servant. So Yaakov says, the truth is I'm humbled to even ask you for another favor because you've hooked me up these last few decades. You've given me so much, God, that I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I can go back to the well to ask for more. But he's going to. I fear, Rashi says, that I've lost the merit to be saved from Asaph. For when I crossed, and what's he referring to specifically? What kind of kindness has God done to him? Here we go. For when I crossed the Jordan River, I only had my stick. In other words, he was penniless when he came to Lavan, 30, uh, 20 years prior. He was penniless. And now I've amassed two camps. Well, I mean, it was one that was divided into two just now, like as of five minutes ago. But anyway, the point is, he's saying that he started off kibamakli. What's the Lushan? What's the language? 
I crossed the Jordan with just my staff, with just a walking stick. And now, whew, got all this stuff. He, it's not lost on him that this is a blessing from Hashem. So he's turning to God and he's praying for God's salvation, but he's not saying, God, no, you're going to hook me up or not? No, 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 no. It comes from a place of humility. Saying, God, I'm not worthy. You've shown, you've shown so much kindness, kind, oh, I can't speak. You've shown so much kindness to me already. You've made me prosperous. You've kept me alive. You've kept me safe and healthy and sane. I feel unworthy to ask again, but I will anyway. Verse 12. Hatsileni na. Please save me from the hand of my brother. Rashi says, my so called brother. <laughs> my brother from the hand of Asaph, for I am afraid of him. Lest. He, come, he might come and strike me. He might even strike a mother with her children. He might even go after the women and children. I am afraid. I don't know what he's going to do. He's a wild card. The last thing we know of him is he was out for blood. He was out for vengeance. Will he only come for me? I don't know. Will he also come for my family now? I have no idea. But God, please save me. So he starts off from a posture of unworthiness. You see this? I'm unworthy. Who am I to even ask? God, you've, you've given me so much, I'm not even worthy to ask more. Right? That phrase in verse 11, the, the opening line, the opening three words, I have become small. I'm humbled from all your kindness. This is the ask that he makes. That, sorry, that's the preamble. The ask that he makes is to be safe. And let's continue. Uh, verse 13. Verse 13, you said, God, you told me I will do good to you and your merit and I will do good in the merit of your forefathers and I will make your descendants as widespread as, a, as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their great number. In other words, you have, you, you told me previously that you're going to bless me and watch me and now I'm, I'm looking to cash in that chip because right now Asav is coming with 400 guys. All right, so far so good. Narrative makes sense. Yes, all right, let's, let's move on to the second reading. So Yaakov lodged there that night. He slept there that night. Where's there? I don't know, wherever he was. He slept there. Does Rashi say where he slept? No. Okay, he was there. Wherever he had divided the camp and prayed to God, he slept there. And he took, listen to this, as the third preparation... Because he prepared, by, he, he prepared for war by splitting his camp. He prepared spiritually by praying, by davening to Hashem. And the third step is he took a gift. He took a gift from his possessions for his brother Esau. Right? What came into his hand, he took a gift for his brother Esau. And what was the gift? You ready? He's, he's about to try to butter him up, butter up his brother. He, get, he, sent, he took 200 she-goats, female goats, 200 male goats, sorry, 20 male goats, I got my zeros mixed up there, 20 male goats, 20 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 nursing camels with their young, 30 cows, sorry, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, she-donkeys, and 10 male donkeys, he donkeys. By the way, in case you're wondering why I can't read numbers today, 
not because I can't read numbers, it's because I'm looking between the two versions of the Chumash, the, the physical version and the online version. And what's throwing me off is that in one version, the, 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 the numbers are spelled out, the other one, they're in digit format. So that's just uh, getting me a little confused, just explaining. So this is a very large gift that he is preparing for his brother to send him as an act of diplomacy. So understand in different words, what Yaakov is doing is he's preparing for conflict. He's preparing in a way of, he's preparing militarily, he's preparing diplomatically, and of course spiritually. Right, so how, what's the, diplo, the, the diplomatic preparation? This gift. It's a lot of animals, right? How many animals in total? 200 plus 20 plus 200 plus 20. That's 440 plus 30 is 470 plus 40 is 510 plus 10 is 520 plus another te, uh, 20 is 540 plus 10 is 550. 550 animals he's sending as a gift to his brother. Okay, you with me on this? It's a lot of animals. It's a lot of animals. Verse 17. He gave each species in its own herd separately into the hands of his servants. Everyone had a thing. You ever go to a parade? You ever go to like a real parade? Like with floats and everything? No, it's not like a free-for-all. Everyone just go. No, this marching band from this school and that float from this community organization. Everything has its own entourage and its own thing. This is exactly the way Yaakov sent the gift. He didn't send all the animals. <laughs> oh, all these animals, like a, a smattering of animals. No, each animal went in its own herd, in its own group. That makes it feel more dramatic. It makes it feel more chashev. makes it feel more, you know, it, the wow factor is enhanced. Okay, listen to this. He further goes on in dressing this up. And he said to the servants the following. Pass on ahead of me about one day's distance and make a space no more than the eye can see between one herd and another herd so that Esav appreciates the size of the gift. In other words, come in waves. Exactly what I said about a parade. You know, make sure that each wave comes and by the end of the wave, you can see the beginning of the next wave. Now, it shouldn't be, you know, animal to animal. It shouldn't just be one long stream of 550 animals. Let it be groups, but each group of type of animal should be separated by no more than what the eye can see, just so that like, wow, 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 what keeps on getting hit with wows, I think there's like eight types of animals here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine types of animals, nine different groups. Let's continue. Um, verse 18, and he instructed the first group, he commanded them saying the following, when my brother Asav encounters you and questions you, saying, whose property are you? Where are you going? Um, or, in, I like this one, to whom do you belong, right? Like, what's, who are you? And why are you here? And what is this? So, um, and whose property are these animals in front of you? So you should say the following. Here's what you should say, verse 19. We belong to your servant Yaakov. Again, your servant Yaakov means that there is a humble posture to Asaph. Instead of Asa feeling threatened that Yaakov is the big macher and he's the second fiddle, no. Your servant Yaakov. So good, make, make stroke his ego a little bit. Um, this is from Yaakov and this is a gift. It's a gift sent to my master, to Asa. And look, Yaakov himself is coming right behind us. So this is, what you, this is the line. What, Asa will say, what is this? Where, what, why is all this stuff headed toward me? 
This is a gift. Sorry, it belongs to Yaakov. It's a gift sent to you. And Yaakov is on his way. And that should happen with each wave. Verse 20, he instructed the second group. He commanded the second group the same thing. And also the third group. And all those who follow, follow the herd saying, this is how you should speak to Esau when you meet him. You should also say, look, your servant Yaakov is behind us. This is the way that it was meant to be, that every group should have its introduction, and the message at the end is, and Yaakov is coming, Yaakov is coming, Yaakov is coming, one group after the next. Let's continue. Uh, for Yaakov said to himself, in other words, the reasoning behind this rationale is, I'll appease his anger with a gift that is going ahead of me, and afterwards I'll see him face to face, perhaps he will accept me. In other words, I want to give him a gift, and a very large gift, so that he'll be happy with me, so that we'll reconcile. Straight up, you know, reconciliation through gifts. Maybe that's Asaph's love language, who knows. Let's continue verse 22. So, the gift. Second, yeah. By the way, the gift in Hebrew, look at the Hebrew, verse 22. Vatavar ha-mincha. Mincha. Mincha is a gift. Mincha is also the name of the, the middle, the afternoon prayers. What's the connection? Just uh, this is parenthetical. Because when we can take time out of our busy day to spend a few minutes in prayer, that's truly a gift to Hashem. Right? The morning prayer is easiest before we start our day. But the afternoon prayer, that's the gift that we give Hashem. You know, the morning and night prayer, before the day starts, after the day concludes. But the, the middle of the day, it's the mincha. So anyway, so, so the gift passed on before him, passed on ahead of him, and he slept that night in the camp. Yaakov slept that night in the camp. Um, a second. Okay, let's continue. Verse 23. During that night, listen to this. And he arose that night. During that night he got up and he took his two wives, his two maids. So again, who are these people? He took Rachel and Leah, Bilhah and Zilpah, two wives, two maids, and his 11 children. Why 11? He had 11 boys. What about Dina? So Rashi says... Dina was hidden in a chest. She was hidden in a box. Or, not maybe literally a box, but she was hidden away so that Asaph shouldn't see her and get any, uh, any funny ideas about her. He didn't want his brother to, to lay eyes on her. So he hid her. Um, and crossed the shallow part of the river, or the ford of the, of the, of the river, Yabok. Online, it's Jabok. In Hebrew, it's Yabok. The Yabok River. Verse 24, he took them and brought them a... Yes? There's an interesting, there's an interesting Rashi. Jump in. Dina being hidden. Yeah. Because uh, it says, uh, so that Esau should not set his eyes upon her. This is why Jacob was punished, because he withheld her from his brother, although she might have returned him to virtuous conduct, and she fell into the hand of Shechem. Right. Shechem. Yeah. She was later on abducted by Shem. She was kidnapped by Shem. And Rashi's saying he's quoting the Barashas Rabbi the Medrash, 
uh, it says in the Medrash that this was ultimately a byproduct of her not being a positive influence on Esav. Yaakov thought that he didn't want her to meet Esav because he didn't know what was going to happen to her. Meanwhile, in truth, she might have had a positive influence on him, on Esav, on the brother, and that way would have turned around the narrative and not led to a negative episode at Shechem. Now, not blaming her, not blaming the victim, obviously she was a victim of abduction later on, but the point is that Yaakov shouldn't have kept his daughter away. He should have trusted that she would be okay and she would be the influencer, not the influencee. Was Shechem Esau's son? No. Shechem was a local, one of the Canaanite folk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the point is that she has, the Rebbe spoke about this. There's like a really powerful talk that's edited where the Rebbe speaks about Dina and her power and, and the fact that Yaakov didn't have enough trust in her. Not, not, not in a malicious, not in like a, a malicious way, but I mean, he, he wanted to protect her, you know, it was out of good intentions. But he didn't have enough trust that she could be an influencer, that she could really make, make the difference. He was trying to protect her, but sometimes you got to trust your kid to make, to, to, to make a difference. So there's a message in there. There's a message in there about, about giving our children responsibility and not feeling like we need to shelter them because, oh no, what's going to happen when they meet the big bad world and the aces of the world? Trust. And maybe for his boys he didn't have that concern, but his girl he did, his daughter he did. And that's maybe a message about, you know, a gender, you know, message about, you know, believe in your daughters and, and, and have confidence. And the Rebbe spoke about this. The Rebbe was very much, was a very staunch advocate of, of, of um, women and girls being powerful and, and, and active members of the Jewish community. In fact, in a, pretty much every Chabad house, there's always a code, it's a co-directorship. It's not like the shliach, the husband is running the show and the shlucha is like behind the scenes. No, she's just as active, if not more active in running things in any Chabad house. So the Rebbe was very much about, on that level, about you know, egalitarianism and, and about um, splitting roles. Now it doesn't mean that they need to be doing exactly the same thing, certain things might be better suited for one personality versus the other. But the idea of a person using their own abilities, their own personality, to be an influencer was a very strong theme in the Rebbe's talk. Also for learning. And for learning, yeah. Mm -hmm. For learning Torah. Yeah. For teaching Torah to girls and for, for women teaching as well. Which is a perfect segue for tonight. Tonight, 8 p.m., yes, Rosh Chodesh Society, course for women by women. Dina is teaching, Dina Schusterman is teaching tonight. Leah is also going to be teaching. They're switching off. Downstairs. downstairs. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's set up downstairs already. It's beautiful. We've got wine and glass. We're going to have good food in person. We'll have a, a fused glass mezuzah workshop. And, of course, a live streaming option as well. But definitely, if you can make it, if you can be here in person, definitely join as well. It's such a good class. I'm thinking about, you know, maybe trying to sneak in. I don't know. We'll, we'll see you if they let the me. The food is, is going to be um, soup, um, pita, chips, and flatbread with hummus and dips, um, fruit, and uh, like pastries, danishes, something like that, wine, 
water and sparkling water. Did I miss something? I feel like I missed something. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. It's helpful to know what to eat before, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sarah, what'd you, Sarah, what'd you say? Is there a live stream option? Or just like later it'll be on SoundCloud? No, no, we're going to do a live stream option, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be recorded also. We'll have both. We'll have the live stream option as well. And then the recorder. I'm going to send that an email after the, right after the class with all that information about the, um, about the class. Okay. I found yeah. the, the ruling you were about the celestial. Yes, it's exactly what you said. Yeah, I put the link in the... In the so some, sometimes I'm right once in a while. Even a, <laughs> even a broken clock is right twice. A, anyway, yeah, we have to be careful about, about the, uh, the celestial beings. We have to be careful. There are some that say not even creating a sculpture of a human being. You know? That's why many pe people, when pho photography first became a thing, there were people that, like, were hiding from photography. It's now accepted to be a thing. Don't, don't worry, I'm not taking away your selfies. It's fine. It's, it's become understood that it's, that it's okay, it's not being worshipped. Um, that, that, and even a sculpture of a human being is also okay. And, but anything that historically has been worshipped, we have to be careful of. Okay, so now let's get back into the text. Okay, yeah, let's get in and let's... Uh, let's oh, okay. Huh. Here's what I want to do. I want to do one more verse and close it out because I don't want to get into the angel, the wrestling with the angel. Speaking of angels, he wrestles with an angel in a moment. I don't want to get into that yet. Let's, uh, but let's do a few more verses. Let's do verse 23. and We did verse 23. Let's do verse 24 and then we're going to stop. So one more verse. He took them and brought them across the stream. He took his family and crossed them over. Remember, he went to the shallow part of the stream. So they were wading in. I just imagine everyone rolling up their clothing, right? Wading across the, the river Yabok. And he took across what was his. He took across his possession. So approaching Esau, they crossed this river. Now, why is this going to be important? Because tomorrow, as we begin, we'll learn about how Yaakov went back, back across the river to get some stuff that he left behind. And alone on the other side of the river, with that river divide, is where he encounters the angel that he wrestles with and struggles with. That we'll save for tomorrow. The, the themes that I want to leave with or that I want to kind of just reconnect with, and I feel like this last one was very powerful. Well, first of all, you know what? Let me, let me do two major themes. Okay. Well, yeah, two major themes. I have so many things that, that I'm thinking about. But number one is God put us in this world, and he, he certainly wants us to remember that he's in charge and that he's the boss. Certainly, is, that's a good thing for us, you know, but God also wants us to use our seichel, to use our minds. So if there's a threat, make a plan. Also, also pray to God. We've got we to make a plan. Do you know that there are people from a, from a not, not, it's not a Jewish thing, but people from a, from a religious place that, that would say back in the day, you know, don't go to a doctor. Because if God wants, God wants. If God wants you, a person to be sick, they should be sick. If God wants you to be healed, you'll be healed. So you don't need to go to a doctor. That's not a Jewish, that's never been a Jewish Understanding, why not? The Torah says, that when a person um, injures someone else, they're on the hook. One of the payments that they have to pay is the medical bills. 
Well, if you're paying medical bills, the Torah sanctions medical bills, then it's sanctioning going to a doctor. That's a biblical, it's from my Bar Mitzvah Torah portion. So I know this. Mishpatim, uh, Exodus 23. It says that you pay the medical bills, which means that you're allowed to go to, to a doctor. So why? Because God, even if God gives the illness, so to speak, right? Even if it's not someone else that, God forbid, hurts someone, it's just, it's coming from God. It's an act of God, so to speak. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God may put the challenge, he expects us to deal with it. He expects us to make it happen. It's like what Rabbi Kiva once said to somebody who says, does God really want doctors to heal? He says, you ever eat bread? Yeah? You ever wonder why you're eating bread? Maybe God wants it to remain as wheat, right? Oh, wheat, can't touch the wheat. Who are we to touch the wheat? If God wanted bread, he would have made bread. God created wheat, gave us a brain, and trial and error, and someone, I don't even know how that, how, I don't even know how it happened, but someone figured out, you know, grind it up, mix it with something else, bake it, boom, you got bread. It's kind of crazy when you think about food experiments. You also think about how many people didn't make it, experimenting with certain foods, like that berry, don't eat it. I mean, like, I'm not making light of it, I'm just saying, like, you know, there's been a lot, we're on the, on the, um, the beneficiary end of thousands of years of food experimentation to figure out how to do stuff, what's okay, etc. Back to my point. Hashem gives us the challenge, but He also gives us a brain. So we need to use all of the available tools. So when it comes to the threat of an Asaf, maybe you, we could speak about this in terms of anti-Semitism, or in general, we got to use all available options. We got to use diplomacy, send gifts. We got to prepare uh, mil uh, militarily, divide the camp, strong army, strong Israel, right? Pray to God, spirituality. So, like, what do we do about anti-Semitism? And I know we're running an anti-Semitism course, but we're not actually going to mention this in that course, so I'll mention it right now. We need th all three approaches. Got to pray to God. I'm, I'm mixing up the order. It doesn't matter. All three are, doesn't matter which one. It's not, it's not a ranking. Got to got to sp plug in spiritually. Strong and secure Israel and Jewish people. We have to have strength. And at the same time, we got to, we got to diplomacy. We got to send gifts. We got to have, you know, advocacy. We got to lobby, etc. That's one takeaway. The other takeaway is let's remember the power of influence. What Mark quoted before from Rashi about how ultimately it was not a good thing that Yaakov hid away his daughter because Yaakov could have had a, a positive influence on Esau. That's a powerful message for us which on multiple levels. Number one, the, the power of influence that we all have. Number two, believing in your kids, right? Trust your kids. Trust yourself. Trust the other person. Trust. We have to trust each other to go in and be successful. Now, if you know for sure it's not going to work, that's another thing. I mean, don't be reckless. But, but the idea of, of believing in our kids, believing in our daughters, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. I'll end off with uh, one of my favorite stories about my daughter, Riva. As some of you may know, or maybe all of you know, we have five boys and a little girl, she's the youngest. So when she was born, I was in Kroger in Toko Hills, and somebody wished me Mazel Tov. He says, Mazel Tov, you have the five boys, you have a basketball team, and now you have a cheerleader. And I remember becoming, and it was meant to be nice, you know, it wasn't like a dig or anything, but I remember feeling like, I think she'll be on the team also. Like, which doesn't, now if she wants to, I'm not saying not a cheerleader, I'm not saying no either way, but let's not, you know, say that she can't be on the team also. So. Anyway, it wasn't, it was out of love, and it wasn't, there was no, no dig, and it wasn't, there was no offense taken, but just, I'm only saying this. 
with the with with the theme. It just I, I recall that story in this context of this theme of believing in our kids, believing in our daughters. You know, he protects her. He loved her. He loved Dina. Yaakov did, and he. He didn't want Esav to, to get any, you know, he didn't, want, he didn't want anything to happen. He didn't want any, you got to believe her that she would be a good influence on him and nothing, nothing bad would happen. Okay, that was, uh, that's the lesson, that's the moral of the story. All right, let's influence, let's be influencers, not just the Instagram varietal or the TikTok varietal. Let's uh, be, be positive ambassadors for light, love, kindness, and healing in this world. Make sense? Questions? Comments? Yeah. I find it funny that that's the problem that Jakob has with Dean is the same problem that lots of men have with their daughters that love their sons. Like, oh, there's a wolf. Oh, go fight the wolf. He'll be fine. Right. Or, no, no, no. You get to stay away from the wolf. Right, 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 right. Oh, it's fine. It'll be fine. Right. Yeah, no problem. Right. Uh, Matt is saying that, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's not an isolated theme in, in, in history and in families where, you know, yeah, there's a wolf, right? The dad's like to the son, "Yeah, fight the wolf," uh, and to the daughter's like, "No, you stay, you stay here." You know, and I'm not saying that we should send out, you know, in dangerous, you know, we have to be careful and, and reasonable. But the idea of believing, believing in our in our kids equally is very important. Okay. Questions are coming. Yes, Yo, Donna. I, just, I already emailed my brother about May 13th. Remember, he, you know, he's <laughs> he should meet up. He doesn't even have to fly anywhere. We're going to put together, please God, a nice group. I mean, we've been trying to do this for a few years now. What happened two years ago? They canceled? It was canceled? Two years ago. It was COVID. Yeah. Right. And that's the first year we were going to put it together. Yeah. 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 Three years ago, we we didn't do it. It was right before. It was on the schedule. Yes, Veronica. Veronica. We'll we'll let Veronica know. Yeah. You know, it was Jeff's yard site. Yes. Over the weekend, yeah. 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 Well, at the cemetery, not we share, but not at the cemetery. A few people went. I wasn't able to go. I was booked up teaching on, uh, on Friday. Um, okay. I think that's it. Donna, Sarah, Mark, all good? Yes, thank you. Good. All right. Don't forget, May 13th to 15th. Consider joining. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, can you imagine taking the crew on the road to New York? Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I know hearing all these stories about 770, it's going to be finally good. I'll show you where I used to study. I had the best seat in the house. Upstairs in the little base measures, little study hall. I had like the corners. Oh, such a beautiful place. We'll go to the Rebbe's room, the Rebbe's house. We'll go to... My old offices, the publishing offices upstairs Where in 770. Where I met Leah. Where we met. We worked around the, around the corner. We worked, from, we worked on the same floor around the corner. It was a match made in 770. Ah, so many stories to tell you. That's it. We're going to do it. Maybe I'll bring the family. We'll put Reva in a box and that's it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll buy her a ticket. No, I'm kidding. It's okay. All right. Good. Mark, as long as I got a rise out of you, I'm happy. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you guys. Thank you, guys. Go on. Take care. <laughs> see you soon. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>